0: Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put internally at your disposal.
1: Am I I coming through my microphone?
0: Yep, you sure are. Your sound is tall. Yeah, your sound is quite tall.
1: Huh, that's great.
0: Yeah, it's good. It's taller than ours. Yeah, but in reality, I'm actually taller than both of you guys.
1: Mm-hmm. Do the much, listeners know that? Much taller.
0: I think they know that from that famous tweet, Mike Stand. What an amazing tweet! <laughs> <laughs> what? An ama- Wait, do we still have a Twitter account? No, I, I think I canceled it.
1: Ah, oh. let's get that back going.
2: <laughs> has elon musk has he reached out to either of you guys about to starting bring back? back up yeah
1: yeah but not about that <laughs> <laughs> just you know what has he reached out to you about anyway this how do <laughs> what did you describe i have two things i think we could talk about today first off describe what we were talking about earlier mike or uh, rob
0: i think you could turn your microphone down just to go oh is it too tall a bit tall i think it's peaking all right that sounds better
1: check one two three that's good you sound that, great rub I, mm-hmm. I i
2: originally i thought you sounded great so don't listen to the okay, no, i'm so just looking know. at how tall it i can is, turn it, it down
1: farther i can get <laughs> taller i can get <laughs> now you're groovy
0: right here yeah you look good good okay you were saying about what we were talking about earlier
1: what did what did you say i look like a hipster but real is that what we?
0: yeah whatever hipsters are trying to ape in order to look a certain way, you know how they, I don't know. I think I feel like all fashion is kind of taking from different walks of life or eras and then Mm -hmm. sort of kind of mixing it and using it for something else. I mean, fashion in a way is, it's an odd thing. I was just actually reading Therese and when she goes to Rome, she goes on a little pilgrimage and she mentions in I think Loretto, the place where Mary's house is, that she's very char- She was very charmed by the fact that the women all dress in a traditional Italian dress and not the fashions of Paris. Do you remember that? It's like a tiny little line, throwaway line, but um, you know she had she had gone through Paris to get to Italy, and um, she said if her vocation wasn't more firm she could see how the worldliness of of all these beautiful places and beautiful people could lure you into the pleasures of the world um but actually there was a line that i underlined that was very striking to me for some reason this morning that she um uh how much uh, something about the pleasures of the world when you're when you're ready to leave the world I can't remember exactly how she said it, but the idea of leaving the world because her her vocation to be a cloistered nun is so much that she talked at one point about like in Switzerland on the train, just seeing the wonders of the mountains and nature and everything, and how um, how like the grandeur of God and of heaven to create all this in just for our exile time. This 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 creation that will only exist for a day in the grand scheme of eternity, like how beautiful it is nonetheless, uh, just shows the grandeur of God. And she'll remember it when she's in the cloister and only able to see a little sliver of the stars of heaven. She'll remember how big creation is, even when she's shut up in her little voluntary prison of Carmel, uh, because she longs for heaven so much. And that, that idea of leaving the world had never struck me. It sounds so negative, but when you read her, it's because she longed for the heaven beyond beyond this world so much that she was she wanted to leave it already not because she didn't like the world you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um and so the way that she's able to notice all these charming little things in the towns Mm and stuff that fashion one just what you said about the hipster thing made me think of it that's good
1: are you reading the the copy of story of soul that i gave you i am you gave it to me did you read the inscription that I, I did. penned in that? I thought of you course. would enjoy that.
0: I read it most times I
1: open that book. Beautiful. Beautiful. This is a this is an g- inside joke, but we're going to throw it out there. I believe I said something to the effect of, dear Seabisc, here's hoping that you like this, that you probably like this.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I know that one.
1: Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You anyway.
2: probably like this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, no man that's good she is I mean it's, it's well known how much I love her but charming is a, is a great way for her and she kind of yeah expresses how she's charmed as well which is which is really cool um, yeah man that whole I was intrigued there when you were talking about that because that's beautiful and it's very her in how she went about it which is that notion of longing for heaven. And I mean, this kind of gets to what we were talking about before as well. Um, I've thought about a decent amount, like the last week, especially. I've always been very intrigued by Peterson's rule of tell the truth or at least don't lie. And I mean that, I guess in, in hearing kind of the framework from Therese of like allowing ourselves to be charmed by the world, but still having this longing for heaven, that it's going to be better. So it's not, we don't give things up because we don't like them or anything um like that but to live in that way and to have that experience that she's describing i'm just so deeply convicted of this recently but you if you you have like integrity is the only way in that Of And like you have to find ways to live um, with with integrity. And so I've just been thinking that of um, tell the truth, at least don't lie. We may have talked about it before, but that's just so dang hard to do. And it's so practical. Um, Anyway, I didn't really plan on talking about that, but I don't know if you guys see the, if that's just kind of like firing in my brain, that connection there of like, like that, that longing for heaven, how we, oh, like, you have to live with integrity and like the importance of it to, to be able to experience that. It's a very simple point. Yeah. I just found the connection.
0: And even the integrity of our own hearts. Um, right. Or being honest about our own hearts and our reactions. Because what you're saying is kind of, it reminds me of uh, von Hildebrand's thing about being a normal person normal people are not typical, you know, um, most of us are not normal in the sense that we don't respond to reality according to its actual hierarchy of values. We, we tend to make unimportant things, the most important things. Um, it's sort of back to what you were saying or what I was quoting you saying, Mike, about Joan of Arc and innocence and being able to, to react to things as they actually are, because your, your soul is pure. You're kind of, you're not clouded by, all these attachments or, or prejudices or preconceived notions um, you just kind of see the good and you pursue it or see evil and avoid it um, and that's that's the simplicity of a child who just tells the truth and doesn't lie um, it takes a certain sophistication in order to um, or even distance from oneself to lie because what you're doing is you're presenting a version of reality and a version of yourself that is not real in order to create some outcome, you know, to create an impression on somebody or to get something out of, avoid responsibility for something or, or whatever. Um, And yeah, like our conversation before, and in, in these previous weeks is just like a desire as men to not live in the pretend fake world, um, but to live in reality and that is costly but it's so much more uh substantial and reliable and solid but where I, the rubber meets the road for me is realizing like my own heart's abnormalities you know and being honest about that and having integrity about that and being like this thing makes me react strongly for some reason and i can tell rationally that's not normal (laughs) so can i talk to god about that and be honest with close confidence and and be a man of integrity and and actually present the real me uh acknowledge my own meanness you know um and that's that's pretty tough uh Cause it's the, the temptation, especially, I mean, maybe just, I speak for myself is to, to repress, to manage, to take care of, be self-reliant so that, um, who I am or my desires or my, my most intimate self is not like in danger of being wounded or exposed, you know? Um, but it's just like, no, there's no peace there. There's no, there's no way to actually live that way. Um, you end up believing your own press and thinking you're the person that you're pretending to be and you're not, which sucks. And you have this whole dissociative thing and you start treating people like objects and it sucks. (laughs) I'd much rather be a real person who loves real people. And if the real people need to hear some hard truth, you just say it.
2: Yeah, that's, that's (laughs) uh, a simpler
0: way to live. I know it's crazy. Right. I probably said that in the least simple way, but
1: that's what I meant to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, just that- let go and let God.
2: <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. Uh, that's why Peterson's so big on the. I mean, I want to make fun of you because you sound like Pinocchio. It's like I'm a real boy, but that's what that whole story is about: is becoming yeah. becoming real. Um, wait, and it's it's super interesting because. It's actually the safer way to live in the long term, even though in the short term, it can occasionally be more advantageous to tell a lie, which is presenting a fake creation, which is weird because, yeah, it's just unbelievable how powerful words are. I think we talked about it last time, but you can use your words to build up the kingdom of God, or you can use words to actually tear down the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And like that's very poignant, and you can feel it, uh impressively when you speak to other people are you using it like gossip i'm going to use my words to tear people down it's Mm. the antithesis of of the gospel It's the opposite of god and i think that's why like gossip and using our words well is can be so powerful or i can use my words to build somebody up like wow that's actually a cooperation with the creative word of god that's so insane that we can do that, man. Mm. It, Like that we have that capacity to cooperate with the nature of God into that reality can actually be shaped around our word. But, but the deal is that why it's safer in the long term to constantly live in the truth is that reality will break through eventually. And I think that's why it's so scary when people live in, are living a, a lie. Like there is hypocrisy or duplicity because at some level we know if all I'm doing is image management, which is I am one way, but I want to present myself another way, which is untrue. And it's not consistent with who I actually am. Eventually reality is going to break through, which means I'm constantly looking at the world defensively so that I can wax on Mm -hmm. wax off here wax on wax off here because it's gonna penetrate through and like i just like kind of continue this little tirade here i I think that's why um the flannery o'connor idea that grace can be so violent but -hmm. also like powerful i think that's another way to say like reality can be so violent and powerful because sometimes it has to break through some things that you really care about. And it has to be like dramatic and excessive or else we can just manage it. Image management. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's really got to, you got to lose a leg. You got to (laughs) be, you got to be pierced, like stabbed by reality in some way at, at certain points in order for that facade to be broken or else we're, we're pretty dang resilient and we can patch that up pretty quickly. Like sometimes those A-bombs that come off and they shatter your self-perception or like they shatter your other, your ego, it can be violent, but it can also be a real grace because that's how Jesus, that's how
0: reality works. Yeah. And also what's real is invisible. Um, I'm struck again by something I'm thinking of from Therese uh, on her trip when they go to Loreto and see the house of the Blessed Mother and how God was, God, of course, is preparing for us a place in his heavenly kingdom or his heavenly house where everything is glorious and he is manifest for who he is and so are we. That's real. Um, but he also, in order to make us hunger for it, is happy to show us his earthly house which is poor and hidden um and that that idea of the, a person who's living i mean the athos monks come here to we mind.
2: go baby it's been too long
0: they're like so far <laughs> from the center of earth's of paris fashion they couldn't be farther from the things that the world thinks are significant but they are living real life yeah, um, and that I think is what I feel called to in this certain, like certain monasticism of the heart. I can't remember where I read that in IPF, um, where what's real is this hidden hidden thing that's going on in your heart, and that's what Flannery O'Connor's stories also are are revealing in in violent, visible ways. It makes manifest like the real violence yeah. of what grace is doing in a person's heart and right. the choices they have to make like do i cut off my arm in order to enter the kingdom you know because yeah. it's better to enter heaven with one arm than gehenna with both of them that's the choice a lot of times am i going to tell the truth am i going to or am i going to um choose to maintain my the integrity of this fake image mhm uh so that i don't have to go through the the pain of of losing my limb i know i've never never thought about that parable in that context before but that's that is kind of the stakes i feel like sometimes and when you see a simple soul like therese just saying like oh man i just can't wait to leave the world and it's not a negative thing where the world is so bad she's not a puritan she's just like i've tasted something so much more real and i i just want to live in it now i'm 15 i just i can't can't but do everything in my power to get there.
1: That's yeah. There's a lot, a lot to that image. And what's cool about her too, is that, um, I mean, with the, the Flannery um, parallel there is we've never, we've never put in the, I've never heard this language on Teresa's life, but like she, like she suffered like violence of grace in the most ordinary moments. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I, I go back to the one of she wanted to talk to her sister who is the mother superior so badly because just for like a little joy of the day, but it broke the rule of Carmel, even though it sounded like none of the sisters really followed this particular rule. They're supposed to be silent at this part of the day. And she had to hold on to the banister so that she wouldn't walk into her sister's office and start talking. And so it was like this, you know, if you think about one, just how funny that scene is to picture her standing there holding onto the banister, like her body trying to pull her into her sister's office, (laughs) but like hanging on and Mm. just how little that moment is, but like to that kind of invasion of, of grace, like, it was cataclysmic. Like what was, what was happening in that moment? Mm -hmm. Um, cause she was choosing to live in reality during it.
2: Mm -hmm. Wow. It's wild, man. It's wild. And like, maybe if I can just kind of make some of the connections, um, that are implied in the, in what we're talking about. Um, like what Therese, what she was able to do was to live fully in the present while looking completely to heaven, which isn't the future. It was a, it was reality that she's some in some sense connected to, but in some sense separated from that grounded her completely in reality. And she looked at the world and saw how good the world was and so fully believed in heaven that she thought, how amazing must heaven be? If this is how good the world is, and it's a blip Mm. on the radar, how amazing is heaven? So because earth is so good, she so deeply desired to be in heaven.
0: Like those two things are not in in opposition. That's what struck me so much about the Switzerland thing. the way she put it in context of like, this is just going to exist for a day. Like you just put this tent up for a day yeah, this and it's almost got billions means of stars to you. <laughs> yeah. And it's so
2: insane. Right. Like, what about heaven? What does that mean yeah. about heaven? And she, her heart was made for that. That's why it's not like, so, so then when you live in, in reality, which is in the present with your heart in heaven already, or like your eyes in heaven, not to the future, but to eternity, um, then the, you need less and less. Like you can become smaller and smaller hmm. and it's okay. But when you don't have that, you you have to have more and more, and yet you actually are becoming smaller, not in a good way. Huh. Right. But like how big souled, And uh, unbelievable was Therese and like, and she chose to live in a, in a cell with almost nothing. And so she had, she looked up to like infinity. There was this more like this abundance and yet she didn't need anything. Like she, she needed so little, like literally so little space on the planet Hmm. that she occupied so little. And but she rejoiced in that. I think because she lived in reality. So like I don't have to be a lot because the person that I'm with is so much that I don't yeah. need so much. And she just firmly rooted herself in that reality. And but then the and opposite. She knew how much
0: she knew how much she meant to that one who. Oh yeah. Was so much. Yeah. Like. Uh, yeah. She she also tells the truth about her own goodness in a way that's pretty remarkable. It's not a false humility, uh, where she's like, Oh, I just need a little postage stamp cell and nothing more. Cause I'm, I'm just nothing in the grand scheme of things. Um, she's a woman of paradoxes that like, she is so little and needs so little. And yet the King of heaven is espousing her, you know, and wants mm-hmm. to just shower riches on her. And she can choose all and all that stuff. You know, it's there's a grandness to her as well as the littleness.
2: Uh huh. Uh huh.
1: No, that's good. I mean, because even she lives from that place as well of like if the, the king of heaven is the king of heaven is espousing her, but she lives in that reality and like I say this kind of joke, it's not a joke. I think it's funny, though, of like she knew that and like she pestered the heck out of him then, Mm -hmm. like for prayers. And it's fun to read her letters, you know, of like just assurances of prayers of like she knew exactly who she was and who to go to.
2: Yeah, I yeah, she experienced life so intensely, dude. Yeah, it's crazy because it's like all these little moments, (laughs) they are not little to her. That's that's why her her story is so powerful, because it it illuminates reality and what it actually looks like, which is true for everybody across the board. And so if this little moment can be like this cataclysmic event of grace, how many of those do I just drive by obliviously Mm -hmm. that I'm not tuned into? And so she kind of tunes you into the the littleness the grandeur of the littleness i guess um and it's like i I think it comes with a certain type of personality and a certain type of person i I think she just experienced life intensely and i i know people like that i don't know if y'all do uh yeah it's just like everything is they just live intensely. I don't know. I don't know how else <laughs> to put it. Like what would be kind of insignificant to somebody else, their experience of it is like very passionate and, and, and hardcore. are like, Holy cow. I just thought we were getting breakfast, but like that was a really intense moment for you, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, I go back to the realness thing. I was thinking about that too. Like when, when one is living this Jordan Peterson rule, tell the truth or at least don't lie. Um, I think the more real you become to yourself and others, the less you are interested in people not being real to you. Hmm. And so small talk and any sort of disingenuous, like using words to just kind of smoke screen or, or worse yet, create a false narrative or false reality. You just, you can sniff it out more easily and it becomes completely uninteresting. And what's surprised me about Therese and reading her is how much of a kindred spirit I feel with her, you know, like that, um, I too have a lot of fears and, and insecurities and sensitivities, um, that are easy to kind of feel like our defects and wish you just didn't have. And it's tempting to just pretend like you don't have them and be like, oh yeah, being a saint means nothing really, you're basically like a stoic that nothing really affects you. That's what God wants for all of us is to just not have strong feelings so that we don't react negatively to things or don't desire things we shouldn't want. But what you see in Therese is, it, is a reverence for herself. That's really refreshing and redeeming. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of recognize like, oh, this is a person being real. They're not filtering it at all. Um, And partly it's because she had sisters and a mom and dad who just loved her so much. It's so crazy. Um, and yet she didn't, she wasn't spoiled by it. She didn't think she was the center of the universe, but she did know she was worth a lot to really important people.
1: That, um, <clears throat> That's a really good point, and it makes me think of something from those podcasts of Gallagher. Did we talk about that on the cast last time? The
2: the ones that he did for Zelly
1: for the for the letters of the Martin family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, I think
2: you mentioned them briefly, but
1: okay. So, and I'm not all the way through them um, yet, but Porter had sent them to me, and um, they're so good. But one of the insights from Gallagher in talking about them <clears throat> is that the whole family. excuse me the and i don't remember exactly how he worded it but paraphrasing it is that the whole family including the other sisters knew that therese was louis her dad's favorite (laughs) but it wasn't a problem because he loved them all yeah and so it wasn't like somehow they were able to i call it like live in reality you know, I don't know another way to, to put it, but it was such a cool insight from Gallagher was it, it, it's in a similar vein of what you were just saying. Like Trez was just so loved and like loved so well and uniquely and personally, um, which didn't take away from how they loved other people. Like it amplified this place, which is pretty cool. That's hard to
0: I mean, to yeah, some extent, it's almost like the sisters, instead of feeling jealous of Therese, felt sympathy for the father, and thinking like, "Yeah, she is really great." Almost, you know what I mean, yeah, um, like you sometimes do when you when you realize that God really loves a person, and you're like, "Wow, I really love them too." And it's so, so crazy that they would let them be in my life. You know mm-hmm. that God would let this person be in my life with how much He loves them. Um. That, it's sometimes as a priest, I think you get that feeling, Pretty, I imagine as a parent too, um, you just feel a, a sympathy with God's heart f- who loves so intensely, but not in a zero sum way where like the more one person gets it, right. the less I get it. <clears throat> yeah. do,
2: do, do y'all have uh, favorites in your family?
1: I think I'm the favorite. <laughs> <laughs> we have least favorites.
2: it's by process of elimination that you get the favorite i'm i gotta say i i think i'm definitely the favorite in my family (laughs) and that's steep competition not just because of numbers but not just of quantity but quality of person and i'm the favorite guys Mm -hmm. hands down
1: you're my you're my favorite of the dogs yes over six feet tall (laughs)
0: I'll take it. I'll take it. It kind of reminded me of this, the uh, Simpsons line when uh, you you may remember this, when the grandpa is watching the kids and um, somehow Maggie ends up with the note that Bart had put on Lisa's back that says, I'm a stupid baby (laughs) (laughs) and the DCFS people come by and the house is a wreck. And, they lift up Maggie and they see she has a note that says, I'm a stupid baby, because it got on her back. And he goes, oh my gosh, stupid babies need the most attention. It's like just an example. Why? Of- <laughs> Why did me talking
2: about getting attention you being the and being favorite, favorite, made you yeah, think of that? that? made
0: me think about Like, sometimes the favorite is for other reasons.
2: Yeah, no, that's probably true. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. That's another way to say it.
1: <laughs> it's interesting. It's hard to even, there is, I don't know that we have time th- today, but there is something cool there of, um, cause it's hard. Like I, I certainly have trepidation even thinking about like the question of like, is there a favorite in your family? And you just default so quickly to like, Oh no, everybody loves everybody the same, uh-huh. you know? Um, whereas like, I don't I don't know what even the word is to describe that, that they could have done that and it had been so known and fostered like the culture and the relationships that it that it did. Besides, it's just living in reality and they were able to articulate it. Right. You know, um,
2: it almost sounds like it created more love for her and for each other. Yeah. Which is not what you would think that would do.
1: Yeah. That's very. It it speaks
0: to their the parents uh, and their integrity and their rootedness in reality. That it was not to try to create a competition between the kids or to you know manipulate them in any way. There was it was just an authenticity to Martin's love of her.
1: Yeah, that they and there's I've seen aspects of it. Of like I'm thinking of. um, I remember I don't remember who it was, but like somebody that we grew up with is not. Yeah, if I even could name them it wouldn't be a rag on them but um because i get the idea but like on on like one kid's birthday all the other kids got like a little present hmm. as well and i remember actually having like the conversation i was little and thought about this in years but like having the conversation with my mom and dad very briefly because like i think it was ross's birthday and i wanted a present like that i was like hey that's a really good idea you ever thought about this i don't know it's a pretty cool idea i thought about that with i had some jewish friends
0: (laughs) i thought about that with hanukkah i'm like are you guys aware that they have a christmas that's eight days long (laughs) yeah
1: just throwing this out there but like my parents (laughs) took it took it seriously and they like actually talked to me about it of like no like we don't do that because, like, you need to root for Ross on that day. Hmm. That's a really cool thing to say. Mm-hmm. And it was, I still remember that. Mm-hmm. And, like, um, hmm. yeah, anyway.
2: That's very cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Because even there, man, there's so much there. Because even there, it's like, this is also for your good, for for oh, you to root for Ross. Like, this isn't just for Ross. This is actually good for Ross and for you, which I think mm-hmm. speaks to
0: the nature of like authentic love. But it's and, also not a manufactured lesson that you really need to learn this, that you're not that important and that, you you know, it's like this is just the nature
1: of families. Right. So it's the nature of families. And, and like, not, it's also like, hey, I, I get what you're saying of like why you would love a little present.
2: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Totally. No, it's 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 super duper cool. Um, Dang, I just said super duper. I'm realizing I say it a lot more than I... <laughs> shoot.
0: Oh, There it is. Uh, yeah, but you're just... I mean, to try to stand outside yourself and filter that would be so fake that you should just let it go. I, I need to be and, true to oh myself. My mm-hmm. Being real means being the worst version of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, dude. It's Yeah, because
2: that also means that in, in Therese's family... It wasn't, it didn't spark jealousy because each individual also knew that they were loved by him, Yeah, which is really powerful as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, and like you said, Connor, it's like, not only did they feel, did they know they were loved by their dad, but they could also recognize Therese's goodness, which I think lent them to living in reality where they're like i mean have you seen her like have you talked to her, she's pretty mm-hmm. awesome <laughs> like can't I didn't blame that love the crud out of them too th- absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. but it's it's non-competitive right yeah yeah and to actually be able to live in that in that reality it's just way more fun man it's way more fun mm-hmm. like imagine hanging out with your family when you're not constantly trying to fill that hole Mm -hmm. then it's it's just self-forgetful self-forgetful and pouring into other people which you now enjoy and you get to see how much they enjoy it as well
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that's a big sold life man yeah invitation to a big sold life and i think why it makes it
0: convincing that. um her parents were saints because, yeah. um, they have these humongous hearts that can tell all their children. I would die for you. Like you, you're extraordinary and cherished. Um, but so is your sister and maybe even a little bit more than you, <laughs> you know, uh, that paradox balance between you are one in a year, one of a kind, uh, cherished but you're not the center of the universe and you don't need to be in order to be to feel at home or to feel you have a place
1: that's just so real and authentic man because it just shows like louis just couldn't help himself man
0: Mm -hmm. he just loved her or that one little scene she remembered from when she was like three three years old she's on a tire swing or something and uh he says come over here my queen and give me a kiss and she said something like come over here and get it and he just walked away and she felt like her sister looked at her like, how, how could you speak to the fa- her father like that or something? And she ran to him in tears and was like, I'm so sorry, you know, that she would even make like her privileged status with him, put her, him at her service in some way or that she could take him for granted. It's so mutually reverent It seemed like even from the time she was a tiny little person. Yeah.
1: It's also, I don't know this, yeah, that it follows exactly because it's so reverent and it's so magnanimous in so many ways. Um, And it's so opposite of like prudishness as well. Mm. Um, And I think that just is tied to like the authenticity and the response and like the freedom to respond in those ways. But even... um, I think I read the book in seminary shirt of flame, which is a reflection on her Therese by Heather King who rocks. Actually, we should talk about Heather King more. Um, but I think it was in that one where she told the story of, and I didn't realize this until I think it was that book, but like Therese was known to be very funny and she was a very good mimic. She could do great impersonations. And so like, even before she was sick, what they would do in the evening in their like recreation or whatever time at the Carmel is they would sit a, like sit around and they would have Therese do impressions for oh. them to like entertain them. And like how it was described, it was like that would just be so dang much fun to to see. Um so it just wasn't like any type of like, yeah, false humility or false piety or anything like that. It's just mm. authentic in how they live. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I know we got to go, but maybe this will kind of be the the bow tie on the on this awesome this most Tuxedo real of ep- an episode. Oh <laughs> yeah, dude, that's nice. I like that. This is a Christmas present. That's what this is. Okay, <laughs> um, is it, I, I've always been fascinated by the fact that um, when her autobiography was published, that soldiers in trenches during the Great Wars would read them, and they felt mm. super connected to Therese, who is telling stories. So imagine this, like people are getting blown up on the battlefield. Your buddies are dying, getting shot through the head, and you're there in, in a trench while the world essentially explodes around you. And you feel somehow connected to a story about a three-year-old girl like wanting to give her dad a kiss and crying about yeah. it. Like there's exteriorly nothing that relates those two. Like yeah. there's no reason why that should be, that should speak to the heart of, of somebody in those situations, but it's because it was real. Yeah. Like she kept it real and people who are experiencing reality, it spoke to them very deeply.
0: Mm-hmm. Even and, like though I'm not that person, I know that that person is real.
2: Yeah. And what they're going through, the context or the circumstance may be worlds different, but it's both real. And there, that's the connection,
0: you, you know, this probably from being in the army, but there can be a, a total, uh, lack of realness among, and even like the great war, you know, what is this real? Yeah. We're fighting over what, you know, um, we have all these big guns and bombs and armies, but, uh, it's all about at the end of the day, the shire. That's what we're fighting for if we're fighting for anything worth a darn. And that's what that's what Therese was living in.
2: Mm -hmm. Hmm. Well, I got to get going, guys.
0: Good talk. Well, about that time. About like anything else. All right, bye.
1: Follow Three Dogs North on Instagram. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisc, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball.
2: Good girl.